Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, today we conclude our reading of the sixth chapter of John's Gospel, this wonderful discourse on the Eucharist. Last week, in some ways, the discourse of Jesus came to its high point as he lays out unambiguously this teaching on his real presence. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. My flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. What follows from this? A mass exodus. We imagine a large crowd listening to Jesus. They've been intrigued by his miracles, especially the multiplication of the loaves. And he lays out this teaching Are they taken in, convinced, excited? On the contrary, most of them leave. The Eucharist has been, from the earliest times to the present day, a great source of division. That's sad? Yeah. Should it be that way? No, of course not. The Eucharist ought to be what unites us. But it's just the case that from the beginning, up and down the centuries, the Eucharist has divided us. What I mean is, this teaching becomes a watershed. Some say yes, some say no. As the crowds leave him, Jesus says to his disciples, and it's one of the most poignant scenes, I think, in the New Testament, He says, do you also want to leave? What a question. You get the sense that the whole church, the whole Christian project is hanging in the balance. That if they leave, it's over. If they leave, then everyone's left. There's a wonderful parallel here between this passage in John and those passages in the Synoptic Gospels. When Jesus turns to his disciples and says, Who do you say that I am? In both cases, something absolutely central and decisive is at stake. Who do you say that I am? I know some say I'm a prophet. Some say I'm Jeremiah, come back from the dead. But you, who do you say? And of course, it's Peter who speaks in their name. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, speaking for the church affirms the divinity of Jesus. And so here in John, he turns to the disciples and asks, will you leave too because of this teaching on the Eucharist? And again, it's Peter who speaks in their name. Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's the great Catholic answer. That's the hinge. 
That's the cardinal point. Even as the crowds leave, the church, speaking now in Peter's voice, the church gives the right answer. Lord, we accept. We accept these words as words of eternal life. Friends, there is something about this question of the real presence that calls forth from us a decision. There is around this question a sort of Kierkegaardian either-or. In our first reading today, Joshua confronts the people. What will it be? Do you follow the Lord or not? As for me and my family, we will follow the Lord. It was an either-or. A decision had to be made, and Joshua forced the question. So here, around the Eucharist, a decision has to be made, and there's no wiggle room. You know, there is wiggle room in regard to a lot of questions in the church. You know, you can adopt a different style of spirituality. One is more influenced by the Jesuits, another by the Dominicans. You can like certain devotional practices. Other people might find them less palatable. Maybe theologically you're more of a Thomist. Your friend is more of an Augustinian. Sure, there's plenty of wiggle room in regard to other issues in the life of the church. But, but, around certain key issues, there is no wiggle room. It's either or. Are you with the Lord or are you against him? Can I state it bluntly? The saints have always loved the Eucharist, up and down the centuries. The saints have always loved the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And a sign of heresy is an inability to accept that teaching. In the 11th century, a pious and brilliant monk named Berengarius proposed an interpretation of the Eucharist. He said, look, the risen body of Christ is in heaven in its glorified form. Therefore, it can't be simultaneously present on a variety of altars here on earth. Therefore, he concluded, what you have at Mass is a symbolic representation of the heavenly body of Jesus. What you're offered is a kind of spiritual participation in it. Huh. It's commonsensical, rational, and relatively easy to grasp. Christ is up in heaven. On the altar here below, we have a symbolic representation. But the church in the 11th century said no to Baron Garius. Because his doctrine did not honor the radicality and dense realism that we saw in the 6th chapter of John. My flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. And when given, as we saw last week, when given the opportunity to offer a symbolic interpretation, Jesus turned up the intensity. Unless you gnaw on my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. It's in response to Berengarius that the church begins to develop this doctrine of transubstantiation that the substance of the bread and wine change. A few centuries after Berengarius, Martin Luther, the great reformer, 
identified the doctrine of transubstantiation as one of the principal distortions of Eucharistic theology, compelling believers to make all sorts of impossible and unnecessary leaps of faith. Luther said, let's go back to biblical simplicity. Christ said, this bread is his body. Therefore, Luther concluded, Christ's body is somehow present along with the bread. The bread hasn't been changed or transubstantiated, but rather it's been joined to a new spiritual reality. Later Lutherans called this the doctrine of impanation or consubstantiation, Christ present along with the bread. Once again, the church said no. For this Lutheran theory doesn't go deep enough, doesn't signal sufficiently the radicality of the change. More to it, I find this fascinating, theologians at the time said it would be inappropriate for us to worship the Eucharist if it were, if it were Christ's presence along with the bread. We'd then be worshiping a creature. We'd be performing idolatry. Luther's fellow reformer, John Calvin, proposed still another reading of the Eucharistic presence. He said, the bread and wine remain fully themselves. There's no transubstantiation involved at all. But that during the Eucharistic liturgy, a sort of dynamic parallelism is established between the body of Christ in heaven and these earthly elements. So that during the liturgy, the Holy Spirit's power is working through these ordinary earthly elements. Hmm. Again, a relatively commonsensical approach. Relatively easy to get our minds around. But to this Calvinist proposal, the church said, no. How come? Because it didn't distinguish adequately between the Eucharist and the other sacraments. Remember I told you last week, Thomas Aquinas said, in the other sacraments, the power of Christ is available. The power of Christ is working in baptism and confirmation and marriage and holy orders. But that in the Eucharist, ipse Christus, Christ himself, is personally, really, and substantially present. The Calvinist reading, the church felt, did not adequately distinguish between Christ's mode of presence in the other sacraments and in the Eucharist. Here's a sign, by the way. We bless the water used at baptism. As that water is being poured, as words are spoken over it, the power of Christ surges through it, and the child is baptized. But after the ceremony is over, we don't preserve that water. We don't worship that water. Because ipse Christus, Christ himself, is not present there. In the 20th century, in recent times, certain theologians proposed new readings of the Eucharist, calling for a shift from this old language of transubstantiation to the language of transignification. What did they claim? That the bread and wine remaining themselves take on in the Eucharist a deeper significance, transsignification. Much the way 
that a piece of dyed cloth in the right circumstances can take on the signification of the country. And we salute it as a symbol of the nation. Just as a diamond ring in the right circumstances with the right words spoken can take on the signification of a pledge of love. These earthly realities, dyed cloth and a diamond ring, don't change themselves, but they take on an added significance. So at the Mass, some theologians said, the bread and wine take on a new significance. We give them a new level of meaning. Again, as in the case of Berengarius or Luther or Calvin, relatively easy to grasp. Commonsensical. Yeah, I can get my mind around that. But the church said no. The church said this doctrine of transignification didn't honor the radicality that you find in John chapter 6, that there is a change at the level of the being of the bread and wine that is not honored in this more psychological and subjectivist interpretation. Friends, the Eucharist is a hard teaching. Always has been. Always will be. Good and smart people over the centuries have tried to find ways around it, ways to explain it. And the church has stubbornly said no to those. The church has stubbornly clung to this radicality that we find in John chapter 6. And so the question goes out to you and to me. When you hear this teaching, do you accept it? Or will you walk away? And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.